All right. Well, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. And just to clarify, Pastor Kevin was not being a Scrooge by turning off the lights. We discovered, uh, for those watching at home, uh, the lights were like flickering all behind whoever's standing here. So uh, that's why he unplugged the wreath, if, if you're noticing that. Uh, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, that word that we just um, heard Colin read for us. And as you're turning there, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, we thank you for willingly coming and carrying out the Father's plan. The prophets foretold of your coming, and the poor in spirit longed to see you. The heavens celebrated your birth And your church praises you this morning, for we have seen your salvation. Son of God and Son of Man, you humbled yourself and became a servant. And you are raising us up to share in your glory. We were in darkness, and you have given us light and strength and peace and joy. Lead us according to your loving will. Make us a people who follow faithfully after you. Give us now this morning hearts that are more like yours. Give us hearts that are ready to hear your word and produce in us abundant fruit through the power of your spirit. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, it was about a year ago this time, maybe a little after, that pastors started talking and emailing one another about what everyone was going to do schedule-wise in 2022, with Christmas being on a Sunday. And we actually, as a church uh, here at this church, we actually had started talking about uh, starting to do a Christmas Eve service. And, and in 2021, it didn't seem like we were quite ready to do that. But we thought, hey, 2022, Christmas Eve service, that's when we'll be ready to start adding that to our gatherings. Um, and then we looked and saw that Christmas was on a Sunday. And we thought, Okay, maybe not 2022, but soon, but soon we'll add in a Christmas Eve service. In fact, Lord willing, we will have a Christmas Eve service next year, and it will be pretty easy to schedule because Christmas will be on a Monday next year, all right? So we'll probably just keep, keep going on Sunday, and it'll be our Christmas Eve service. But listen, whether you prefer to gather with God's people on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or both— Upon hearing that Christmas was on a Sunday, I think most people and most pastors' first thought was, well, that's a little inconvenient. It's a little inconvenient. And I'm going to be using that word inconvenient pretty broadly and loosely this morning. And so just to make sure we're on the same page, uh, the definition of inconvenient I'm thinking of is something that causes trouble, difficulty, discomfort, something that is disruptive to the normal and comfortable flow of life, whether great or small. Christmas being on a Sunday is a little inconvenient. It is a little disruptive to the normal flow of life and many family gatherings. It's not the norm. We couldn't just, we couldn't just hit cruise control with the Christmas schedule this year and do what we always do. Now, some are happy about it, 
I think it's pretty cool to be able to gather on Christmas morning and, and worship together. Some are frustrated by it, but as a Christian, you had to do something about it. It couldn't be ignored. Churches had to decide whether to gather or, or not this morning, and people had to decide, families had to decide whether or not to adjust family gatherings or holiday traditions. Christmas 22 is a little inconvenient. And then for many of us, there were things this year that have made Christmas even a bit more disruptive and inconvenient and out of our norm. Uh, Many of us have been dealing with illnesses. I know many of you in our church family have been dealing with illnesses these last few weeks. Uh, Last week, I had to miss part of our our family's uh, uh, Christmas gathering together. Uh, A couple of my boys and Britt aren't here this morning. Uh, And I know many of you have had to reschedule things and adjust things and miss out on certain things due to illness. Uh, Illnesses are a little inconvenient. Uh, But then some of you have been dealing with with bigger disruptions and things that have been happening in your life. We've had a few of you in our church family who have had loved ones pass away in the last couple of weeks. And you're grieving right now. And you're not quite sure how to celebrate the holiday this year because you know it's not going to be quite the same. And in fact, you're coming to grips that it might not ever, it probably won't ever be the same. And then all of us, I think, have had to some degree or another deal with the extreme cold. Some of us have been dealing with frozen pipes, learning new terms like bomb cyclone, and uh, we've we've all had to, you know, question our decision-making and the life decisions we've made that have led us all to live here in the Midwest. If you're like me, you've started to maybe think through, like, well, maybe there is a reason the cost of living is so affordable here. And so in the church email on Friday, I said that this morning's sermon was going to be titled, An Inconvenient Christmas. And after I sent that out, I did a little search on the internet to see if that was something that other people had been saying or a phrase that had been used before. And I actually found that, in fact, there is a song by the Oak Ridge Boys. Do we have any Oak Ridge Boys fans in here? Okay, we've got some. All right. I wasn't, I wasn't in the loop on the Oak Ridge Boys, but uh, Elvira, I think, is a song of the Oak Ridge Boys. That's sort of a family tradition. I don't know why we would sing that, but it was, uh, we would sing that. And so that was, that was part of it. But the Oak Ridge Boys have a song called The Most Inconvenient Christmas. And they even wrote a book called An Inconvenient Christmas. And so I downloaded that book uh, Friday night, and I read it to the boys Friday night, uh, In all honesty, the book wasn't that great, so I'll save you some money and summarize it for you so you don't have to go out and get it. Uh, But essentially in this book, a country music song happens to a family that is all excited to celebrate the perfect Christmas, right? The country music song happens. The car breaks down. The farm burns down. The gifts don't get delivered. The meal doesn't get cooked. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Nothing goes according to plan. But then they gather around their grandpa, and he reminds them that this was not the most inconvenient Christmas there ever was. And I will say the same to you and to my family this morning, that this is not the most inconvenient Christmas there ever was. No, I believe the very first Christmas will always hold that title. 
for it was the very first Christmas that is the one that all of our Christmases are supposed to be celebrating, and it did not consist of holiday traditions or fuzzy sentimental feelings. Everything was not going according to Joseph and Mary's plans. No, there was a lot of trouble, a lot of difficulty, a lot of discomfort, a lot of disruption, a lot of inconvenience that happened on that very first Christmas. Christmas from the very start was inconvenient. But you know, church, God in his wisdom knew that our world needed this divine disruption. He knew that his people needed saving from their sins, and he desired to dwell with his people, and he knew in in order to accomplish both of those things, life could not just carry on business as usual. You see, God oftentimes works through divine disruptions, and it is through troubles and difficulties and discomforts and inconveniences that God works to save us from our sin and to help us enjoy a deeper, more meaningful, life-giving, joy-producing relationship with him. So let us now look at Matthew chapter 1 and see how God worked through a very inconvenient Christmas And as we see these divine disruptions of the first Christmas, may we also see how God is working through things in our own lives on this inconvenient Christmas 2022. Look with me at Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This is a story that is all too familiar to many of us. We hear this at least once a year, sometimes even more than that. All month long, we've been considering many of the events surrounding the birth of Christ and the incarnation. But I've been praying that God would give us fresh eyes and responsive hearts to see this familiar story in a new light this morning. And the light that I would like to shine on it this morning is just how inconvenient this first Christmas was. Just how much trouble and difficulty and discomfort and disruption was caused to Mary and Joseph's world. Now, don't get me wrong. It was a, I'm thankful for the disruption. I'm thankful for this this first Christmas. It was a glorious inconvenience. It was a miraculous inconvenience. It was a great grace and honor that was bestowed upon Mary and Joseph. But it also brought along with it a great deal of difficulty for them in that moment. Charles Spurgeon once said this and We're not going to have quotes and verses up on the screen as we wanted to really limit how many people had to be here early to set up and whatnot. So um, I do apologize for that inconvenience. 
not having it up on the screen, uh, but it's, it's on theme. It's on theme, right? We also, we removed all the toilet paper from the bathrooms uh, just to really give you that feel of the first Christmas. Yes. Charles Spurgeon, though, he once said, every great favor brings a great trial with it as its shadow and becomes thus a new test of faith. I'll read that again. Consider that with me for a moment. He says, every great favor brings a great trial with it as its shadow and becomes thus a new test of faith. Have you experienced this? If you're a parent, you've experienced this, a great blessing and a great favor to have a child. I mean, what a, what a blessing that is. But along with it comes some great trials and thus becomes a new test of faith. Have you ever received a, a new job or a new promotion, something you've been praying for that God would provide for you and he provides it for you? What great favor, what great blessing it is, but then it comes along with new great trials with it and thus becomes a new test of faith. Have you experienced this in your own life? Mary and Joseph experienced this. I mean, what great favor and grace God had shown them to choose Mary to be the mother of our Lord, to choose Joseph to be the Lord's adoptive father. A great favor, a great grace indeed. But notice the great trials that came in the shadow of that great grace. Joseph has to first experience the pain of seeing his wife-to-be pregnant and knowing that it is not his. That's painful. That hurts. This is a miracle from God that Mary has become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And I mean, we love for God to do miracles, right? We pray for that. We want that. This is miraculous. And yet it's not as if this miracle is not without trouble and pain. Which, side note, I think we do need to be careful in describing childbirth and conception as miraculous. In describing, I guess, all childbirth and conception as miraculous. Now, don't get me wrong. I think childbirth and conception is glorious. It's amazing how God has designed for man and woman to be able to come together and a new life to be created and a child to come into this world. I'm not trying to lessen the glory of what God does each and every day in creating new human life. But my point is that we must see this conception and birth as being set apart. Babies are born every day, but not this way. This was miraculous. The scripture is very clear. This was a miraculous conception. This was not Joseph's or any other man's child. This child was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters in the very beginning as creation was springing up, and just like the Holy Spirit comes into the hearts of people and creates new hearts and causes us to be new creations, 
So the Holy Spirit came upon Mary's womb, and the child was conceived, a child who was fully God and fully man. And this is what our Savior had to be, fully God and fully man. He had to be fully man so that he could be humanity's representative, so that he could be the true and better Adam who would perfectly trust and obey the Father and defeat the serpent who would go to die on behalf of his people. But he also had to be fully God. He couldn't be born with a sin nature like our own. No mere man born in this fallen world has been able to be the spotless lamb of God like Jesus was. The only mediator between a holy God and sinful man had to be Jesus, fully God and fully man. Born of Mary but conceived by the Holy Spirit, a miraculous conception and birth. But think about how this miracle completely disrupts Joseph and Mary's world. And it is in the disruptions and inconveniences of life, it is when the pressure squeezes us the most that we get to see what's on the inside of our hearts. And notice Joseph, upon seeing his wife-to-be is pregnant and knowing it's not his, he's certainly in some pain, he's certainly hurting, and it was in his legal right and expected of him that he would divorce and break off the engagement. I mean, back in Old Testament times, some could, were even executed for this act of, of adultery. However, in the first century during this time under Roman occupation, a lot of those death penalties in the law of God were not carried out. But Joseph had every right to divorce her, and not only divorce her, but he could have shamed her. He could have talked about her to all his friends. Can you believe what she has done to me? How could she do this? He could have made a spectacle of this in order to protect his own reputation, lest people think he had been immoral with her before the wedding day. And church, isn't this what we are prone to do when we are hurt? Whether it's by a spouse or by a friend or by someone in the church, it's like, okay, they hurt me. Well, what's the maximum amount of hurt I can hurl at them and still be able to justify myself and still look like a good Christian to other people? You maybe know you shouldn't physically hurt them, but maybe you want to go after and just say, how can I get everyone on my side and help them see just how awful this other person is and just how innocent and righteous and a victim that I am? They hurt me, so now I'm going to destroy their reputation and their relationships with others, and I'll do it with this sense of superiority all along the way. That's what we're prone to do in our sin. But that's not what we see the man that God chose to be Jesus' adoptive father respond. That's not how Joseph responds. Here we see Joseph's compassionate and merciful heart, even in the midst of being deeply hurt and in pain. As he considers here the most tender and gracious way to divorce her quietly. 
And we see then that God is even more gracious and merciful with Joseph, and he sends an angel to him to explain the situation. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, reminding him of his royal rank in the line of David, says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The angel confirms what Mary had tried to explain to him. Because admittedly, miraculous conceptions are difficult cells unless God backs it up. Back when I used to work in the emergency room, I had to be in a, in a handful of rooms where I delivered the news that a, a teenage girl was pregnant. And I had to sit in there and watch her try to convince her parents that it was a miraculous conception. And I'm telling you, it's a tough sell unless God sends a messenger. And here he sends a messenger. He sends an angel. And I'm sure this brings great comfort to Joseph. It confirms what Mary has said. But it doesn't then make this all a comfortable and convenient pregnancy, does it? I mean, Joseph might now be convinced that this was a miraculous conception, but still, what will his family and friends think? How will his reputation be affected by this? This thing that God has called him to do, will he lose the approval and respect of everyone in town? Will he receive judgmental looks of disappointment from those he sees in the marketplace? But Joseph, he obeys the Lord nonetheless. And we see his, his heart be exposed in this time of hurt and disruption. You see, when God shakes things up, when divine disturbances happen, when an inconvenient Christmas comes our way, our hearts get exposed. And thanks be to God that they get exposed so that every heart would prepare him room like we just sang. And you can imagine all along the way of this pregnancy and birth, all the inconveniences of it. From traveling to Bethlehem, roughly 100 miles, while being great with child, for the purpose of paying taxes. Wasn't even like a great destination to look forward to. Wasn't an awesome birthing center they were headed towards. The accommodations for the birth, and then after the birth, to have to flee to Egypt so that their child would not be killed by Herod's soldiers. In all these things, God was working. And not only was God working for his own glory, and not only was he working to bring about the Savior of the world, but he was purifying and strengthening and preparing Mary and Joseph for the roles that he had called each of them to play in this wonderful and wise plan. Just like Spurgeon had said, every great favor brings a great trial with it as its shadow and becomes thus a new test of faith. This was how the conception and birth of Jesus Christ came about. God's gift to the world was not conceived by man, but by God. And it is through this miraculous conception and birth that God exposes our hearts and shows us our greatest need. I mean, think about this for a second. Have you ever received a gift that was 
humbling and maybe even a little embarrassing because it showed what the person giving you the gift thought you needed. Can anyone think of maybe a humbling or a little embarrassing gift that they received? Uh, For example, uh, if you've ever opened up a gift from someone and it was a pack of deodorants, right? That's a bit humbling. It's a, you're, the person's telling you something, right? Have you ever received breath mints from someone? Or a bathroom scale? Now listen, if you don't take anything else away from the sermon, just get this wisdom, okay? If you have, if you're giving some of those gifts later today, please do not do that. You are not being as subtle as you think you are. But listen, church, God knows what we really and truly need. And what we needed was a Savior. And we say yes and amen to that. Thank you for doing that. I love the feedback. But we've heard that so often. We've heard that we've needed a Savior so often, especially if you grew up in church. We can tend to forget just how humbling that is. We needed someone to save us. That's the best gift God could give us because that's the biggest need we had. We didn't need him to just simply send us another teacher. We didn't need him to just simply send us another coach or motivator. We didn't need just another philosopher or simply a counselor. No, we ultimately needed a Savior. Because salvation cannot be conceived or accomplished by man's own will or in his own strength. No, God himself had to come and put flesh on and save his people. Now to the prideful and to the arrogant and to the self-righteous, this is offensive news. And they don't like to think about it. But to the poor in spirit, to the humble and contrite of heart, this is the best gift they could ever receive. This is what Jesus came to do. And his name says it all. Look at at what else the angel tells Joseph in Matthew 1, now in verse 21. The angel says, She will bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel tells Joseph that he's going to be the adoptive father of this child, but that he doesn't get to decide the name. He must name him Jesus, which is a name that means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. What a wonderful name that is. And what does the angel tell Joseph that Jesus will save his people from? Look back at the text with me. He says, his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their circumstances. Is that what it says? No. His name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their discomforts. Is that what it says? His name is Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. 
you see this is humanity's biggest problem. We have sinned and rebelled against a holy God. And yet people then and people now mainly want to be saved from their circumstances. Not realizing that God has providentially brought these circumstances upon them in order to save them from their sins. But no, we are far too often concerned about our circumstances. We think the reason we sin is because we are just victims of our surroundings. I mean, I'm not angry and anxious. I'm not an angry, anxious person. I'm not that way because I have anger and anxiety in my heart that God needs to sanctify and purify. No, it's these people all around me that are making me angry and anxious. God, the problem is out there, not in here. I mean, I've said stuff like that more recently than I care to admit. But what you should celebrate this morning is that God came in the flesh to save you from your sins. He'll address and deal with the sin out there and the circumstances out there too, and he'll call us to engage with what's going on out there, but those things are not your primary problem. I mean, don't flatter yourself. Those things are not your primary problem. The, the, the flattery of yourself is what the wicked person does. In Psalm 36.2, just jot it down if you're taking notes. Psalm 36.2, David speaks of the wicked person and he says, For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. He's saying, you keep flattering yourself, you keep embracing the fact that, and you keep uh, ignoring and not embracing the fact that your sin was so bad that God had to come himself to deal with it. If you keep doing that, you'll never become aware of the depth of your sin. And you'll never experience the joy of confessing it and turning from it and being freed of it. But listen, God loves you so much that not only did he come down 2,000 years ago and disrupt the world, no, he sends inconveniences, discomforts your way today in order to show you your need for a Savior. And so let me ask you this, what are, what are the inconveniences of life, however great or however small, what are the inconveniences of life exposing in your heart today? Are you confessing those to God? Are you receiving forgiveness and healing from him? Are you becoming more like him and allowing him to fill you with more joy as you stop flattering yourself and you let his word and these things he's brought into your life lay your heart open and expose them, expose it before him. God came in the flesh to save his people from their sins. But listen, he came to forgive and purify us, not to simply give us a get out of hell free card to use at a later date. Right? That's not the message. Come to Jesus, be forgiven, 
and then he'll see you later in heaven. No, God has called, justified, forgiven, and is now sanctifying us so that we could enjoy a relationship with him right here, right now. For he is a God who wants to be with us. Because look at what else the angel says to Joseph. Not only is this child going to save his people from their sins, he is going to be a God who is with us. Matthew 1, 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Church, the celebration of Christmas is, yes, humbling in that it shows us our need for a Savior and a salvation that ultimately had to come from God and not from us. But it is also so comforting and encouraging that we have a God who was not content to be a distant, transcendent ruler of the universe. Our God is not a God who is content to see us on Christmas and Easter. No, the one true God has come to be with us. And he lived among us and as one of us. And therefore, he can sympathize with us. Jesus is God with us. He knows what it's like to be a child. Children in here, Jesus was a child at one point. He knows what it's like to have loved ones pass away. He's he's cried at gravesides before. He knows what it's like to be sick and tired and hungry. He knows what it's like to have strong desires and yet ultimately submit himself to the will of the Father. He can sympathize with us in our temptations and in the inconveniences of life, and he is not content to remain distant from us. No, Jesus is God with us. And if we forget this, and sadly, even many Christians do, we forget this. If we forget this, that Jesus is God with us, then what will happen is we will fall into the religious routines of simply wanting to do things for God and God to do things for us. And it's that kind of relationship that all false religions kind of teach us and that our culture all around us is teaching us. And it's so, sh- it's so sad and it's shallow and it's empty. I put out some milk and cookies for you and you give me gifts, but we'll never be in a relationship. You'll be this distant, unknowable person. We'll touch base once a year uh, when I'm a child, but then after that we'll be done. Oh, but the truth of Christmas is so much better, church. God has given us himself, not because we were so good this past year, 
but because we were so unable to be good apart from him. And therefore, he came to save us from our sins so that now we could enjoy a deep and meaningful, life-giving and joy-producing relationship with him. He is a very relational and present God. Through faith in Christ, God has cleansed you to fill you with his presence. He has justified you to adopt you into his family. He died for you so that he could live with you forever. He is not a distant God that doesn't want to be found. He has made himself known and he has come and he comes to you today again and offers you himself. And this life with God does not start at some distant point in the future. It can start right now. It can continue right now. Let every heart prepare him room. Through faith in Christ, God promises to be with us right here and right now. J.C. Ryle applies this so wondrously when he wrote that Emmanuel promises to be with us daily to pardon and forgive. To be with us daily to sanctify and strengthen. To be with us daily to defend and keep. With us daily to lead and to guide. With us in sorrow and with us in joy, with us in sickness, with us in health, with us in life, and with us in death, with us in time, and with us in eternity. Jesus is God with us. You see, when an inconvenient Christmas comes your way or when sickness or a death or a hardship or a divine disturbance comes into your life, God's not primarily trying to get you to do something for him as if he needed anything. No, he's trying to show you your heart, to show you the sin that need, you need to be saved from. And he's trying to give you an opportunity to do something with him in relationship with him, to know him more, to trust him more, to obey him more, to enjoy him more. For he is the most supreme and glorious thing in the universe. What better gift could he give to you than he's given, he's given you himself? Whatever inconvenience God has brought to you in your life this year, however great or however small, may you know and remember this Christmas morning that in God's providence and by his sovereign hand, he has brought these circumstances about ultimately to save you from your sin and to help you enjoy a deeper, more meaningful, life-giving, joy-producing relationship with him. For he truly is a God who is with us. And Matthew is going to remind us of this at the close of his gospel account as well. I love that this is how the gospel, according to Matthew, starts and how it finishes. Turn in Matthew then towards the end to Matthew 28. 
For this is how the gospel according to Matthew starts and finishes, reminding us that Jesus is God with us. Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, what does he say? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, what courage and oh, what joy we are filled with in knowing that our Savior Jesus Christ is with us. When my boys have been really young, there have been times where they've been a little fearful to go upstairs by themselves in the dark, to run down the long dark hallway to their bedroom to grab something. They're fearful. They don't want to do it. They don't want to go. But oh, what courage and joy they are filled with when I join them and I go with them and I turn on the lights. My presence is there with them. The lights are turned on and oh, you should see them. They go from trembling in fear to courageously charging down the hall like they could take on an army coming against them. You see, if Christ is not with you, if you are not trusting him for life and salvation, then the inconveniences of life can be so scary and unsettling because you're trying to navigate them in the dark by yourself. But church, when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, the lights were turned on and his presence with us has been secured forever by grace through faith in Christ. Jesus is our God who is with us. The light of the world has come, and he's with us. What are you afraid of? God is with us. And oh, what courage and oh, what joy we can have to face whatever may come our way individually and as families and as a church family in this next year, 2023. What courage and joy we can have remembering and knowing and trusting that God is with us. Let's pray.